everyone, and welcome into a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are so honored to be bringing you today's episode and to have the guests that we have. Joining us today, we have the actor Atu Blankson Wood and the director Dustin Wills, both who are part of the upcoming production of The Laramie Project. It's being performed one night only, October 16th at 7 p.m. at Symphony Space. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting symphonyspace.org. This is a very special event as the evening will benefit the Trevor Project and commemorate the 25th anniversary of Matthew Shepard's passing and founding of the Trevor Project. So we're very honored to be talking about this great work, this wonderful foundation, and be commemorating this tragic but important passing of this individual. So with that, let's bring on our two very special guests, Atu and Dustin. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so honored to have both of you here. I feel like I need to get pinched. I can't believe I've got this great director and this incredible actor here on our show. This is amazing. And we're talking about one of my favorite shows, The Laramie Project. It's such a groundbreaking show. And it's just heartbreaking as far as the eye can see. And so I want to start with you, Dustin. Could you tell our listeners, anyone out there who may not know what the show is and is about, could you give us a brief synopsis about it real quick? Sure. So... The Laramie Project is a project of the Tectonic Theater Project, and Moises Kaufman went, had heard about the tragic murder of Matthew Shepard in Laramie and went out there and began to, with his core ensemble company, went out there and began to interview people in the town of Laramie just to understand more about like the effect of Matthew Shepard's death on the community and and sort of really getting in there and, and trying to uh, I, I like to think of it as like what are we doing with all this how can we like take something that is pretty terrible and just like turn it into something else like what how are we how are we grieving how are we turning a lot of this trauma into something productive not qualitative as in good or bad but in something that is worth knowing about and worth interrogating you asked me one question I word salad into another but there it is. <laughs> I love that. I think that's a brilliant explanation of what this is. And I want to follow it up. I mean, this is a very special performance of the show. You know, it's commemorating the 25th anniversary of the passing of the core, the person at the center of this, Matthew Shepard. And of course, the founding of the wonderful organization, The Trevor Project. How is it that you came upon this project? How did you come upon this particular production? So the folks at District Productions really wanted to, in the spirit of the 25th anniversary and in the spirit of like keeping the story present, wanted to, you know, do this, this as a benefit for the Trevor Project, like you said. And so District Productions called me. I'm gay. I don't know. What? I direct plays. And I don't know, they thought I'd be a good fit. And I think this is, you know, and it really aligns with the kind of, you know, work that I think I'm, that I, that I'm known for and interested in and it's you know it's not your typical kind of play it's it's it does live in the more experimental world it, it lives in the queer world and I think it's you know deeply political mm -hmm. all things that I really love and cherish and and 
And I think they saw Wolfplay or Wet Brain or some show that I did last year. And they were like, call him. And then, and it was nice because they had already reached out to a couple actors. And Atu is one of the actors they had reached out to. And I was like, well, you know what? That's perfect because I love Atu and we worked together on a couple shows yeah. and probably a name I would have brought up anyway. So they just, they read my mind. Crazy. I was like certain that like you had told them to call me. I'm so this is just kismet. Yeah. No, you were just like on the top of a list. And I was like, well, just your list is correct. Carry on. <laughs> like, <laughs> And seeing Dustin attached to it was a big reason why I said, yeah, I'd like to do this. I think like, like Dustin said, like there is like, this is very much in a lot of ways in your wheelhouse. But I think that the other things you bring to it are like, I don't know, when we've worked together, I think there's a way you bring a lot of heart to everything. And this play needs heart. Like this play is about human beings and the complexity of being human. And I feel like that's something you do so well. So I'm like, that was just a, a huge selling point for me. Yeah. Thank you, darling. Well, I mean, like, I, I love, you know, thinking about like, thinking about this idea of care, you know, I feel like that feels really at the center of this project because you've got, we will have like, we will have 10 bodies on stage and each body is inhabiting multiple people who are based on very real people who said very real things. So that kind of, that kind of care is necessary to both carry the, you know, the, the, the tragic subject of the work at hand, but also the very nuanced, strange, complicated, complex, pathologies, ethos, pathos of all of these people and their relationship to the event. It really is a very like prismatic work that looks at humans in a, in that way, in all of its flaws, but in all of its perfections and all of its beauty. And then in all of its strange ref refracted, you know, deep, deep, you know, misfigured, you know, shapes as well. Yeah. It doesn't like feel like it takes like a, a stance right? Like you said earlier, like, it doesn't feel like they're, they're saying that these people are qualitatively like good or bad, you know, it, it's really leaning into the complexity of human beings. And I think another reason why specifically now we need to continue huh? to revisit this play is because we're entering a space where like nuance is kind of dying. Complexity is kind of, human complexity is dying. And we really need to be able to look at people as complicated. There, there is stuff where you need to talk about with via the lens of complexity and I think this play does that and hopefully will like reawaken all of us to continuing to do that you know and can we see the humanity in people who have different ideologies like there are people in this play who you know as I read it I'm like your ideologies are kind of like reprehensible to me but I see the ways in which you're protecting your community you're protecting your loved ones you're interested in like in 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 those those relationships that are closest to you so i can see i can both see the humanity in them at the same time that i'm i feel at odds with their politics or their ideologies which is like that's another thing we really need to refresh in ourselves in this particular moment and this the you know the play itself actually asks these performers and via them the audience they're like put yourself in my shoes, mm -hmm. literally, you know, and then become me and then become this other person who is in deep disagreement with me. The body can hold both of those things mm -hmm. without tearing itself apart. I mean, the show is proof of it. And I think that's something we right now in our, you know, very polarized American culture need to 
understand about our own bodies and our own our own the way in which we engage with other human beings bodies you know not just with thoughts but you know in thinking about like how how thought is attached to violence to the body i think this play is really something that like really tries to to sort of examine that you know with a scalpel in a in a petri dish kind of way using the theater as you know the sort of the scientific tools yeah Actually, I want to bring you more on the conversation. I want to ask, as one of the performers of the show, what has it been like developing this work? You know, we haven't yet like gotten into the room and like started to really inhabit these folks, but I've really I've been reading the play. This was actually one of the first plays I ever read. I was a I was a big old musical theater kid. So like I was always running around doing the musicals, you know? And this was one of the first plays that was handed to me. I think in high school. Do you remember when this play came out exactly? I was I was debating this with my friend recently. I, I want, don't know. I want to say it was like it was at some point in high school or or maybe in college, but I just remember reading it and I hadn't fully come into reckoning with my own queerness, right? So there was something about Matthew Shepard as a figure that sort of Oh yeah, 2009, yeah. So reckoning with Matthew Shepard as a, a figure, which made me, I don't know, I saw myself in him, right? And it, in some, it's interesting because at the time, I remember feeling a lot of fear in my body. You know, I, I remember feeling like this, in some ways, this was a cautionary tale or something. And then like now looking back at it, I'm like, it's not that at all. Matthew had the right to live as his full self, right? At any rate, when the play came into my life, I just remember it made such a, like a, an impact. And through the years, I have just revisited it and revisited it and revisited it. At, at one point, I think there are, there are two or three copies on my bookshelf right now. I just, I love the play. And I, I never, I never really thought about being in it. I just, it was like, this is a piece of theater that I can love. And now that I get to inhabit these humans, I'm just like, they, they feel like old friends I'm getting to revisit, really, at this point. And there was one, they were like, Justin, did you have anything to do with like who got what track? A little bit. Because like there was one section, I, I was like, I need to be Harry Woods. Like the only thing <gasps> to say out loud are uh, this man's lines. Like if nothing else, I want that. So, I mean... We'll see what happens on the 15th when we all get together and just, you know, read it together. But for now, I just feel like I'm getting to revisit with some old friends and that feels so exciting to me. Yeah. This play didn't come out till 2009? Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. That is wild to me. The play debuted as a reading at nearly 150 theaters across the U.S. and internationally on October 12th, 2009, the 11th anniversary of Matthew Shepard's death. Yeah, because I mean, I can't even remember. I'm like, I'm not even sure if I recall like the event of Matthew Shepard's actual death, which was 1998, which I was in high school for in Texas as well. <laughs> I mean, in that year as one of the sort of only visibly marked known homosexuals as it were at the school like me and maybe like two other 
folks. And, you know, we were all in the theater program. I don't know why I bring that up. I just, you know, in thinking about, I guess I bring it up because in thinking about being out at that time was, you know, 98, that's still, that might still be like before you even have like a will and grace, you know, which I sort of feel might be one of the first sort of like, oh, they're not. Yeah, that was. They're, I, I they're that funny. Was, <laughs> yeah, I think that was definitely before Will and Grace. I think that was also around the time that Ellen had just been fired, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we were still like living in a moment where you could be fired. <laughs> yeah, because I remember, you know, back in that time, like you, you, the other, the other gay person at the school, like, was my friend, and we, you know, we had to go and seek, and this was sort of like in southeast houston like galveston texas area and so we really had to drive into downtown houston to sort of find a, what felt like a safe community back then you know otherwise we were kind of on these little islands yeah just like that's just it's just it's it's like uh it's worth mentioning that this play is born out of a very different time or even almost like at a at a turning point in our understanding of 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 you know, more nationwide, you know, understanding of LGBTQ issues. And back then it really was sort of like gay, you know, that was it, that was G. And there was, I don't know, I think like this, that event of Matthew Shepard's death, what I remember was a lot of conversation around it, but I don't really ever remember the, I don't remember the news ever like hitting, you know, hitting me like that, like the event, it was the fallout after, I feel like I vaguely remember, but it's all very vague, like it, yeah, I yeah, I feel like I I vividly remember the event because at mm. the at that time I was very closeted, you know. And I just remember the experience of that sort of compounding a fear that already existed, you mm. know. That like, oh, if I a fear that existed around like if I live my life out, you know, I might experience you know, violence or rejection, and then having that sort of exemplified in front of my eyes was really like at that time, really sort of terrifying. So I, I think in a lot of ways that, you know, when we get to next week, it's going to be really healing to be in that space with everybody and to say these words and say, and, and to like really have a feel like a marked journey like this is a new point in my relationship to this play you know i want to kind of build on that with a two-part question for the two of you if i could and i want to ask what does this mean to you to be a part of this event that's recognizing the 25th anniversary of matthew shepherd's passing and the founding of the trevor project and is there a particular message or thought you hope that audiences will walk away from the show with and Atu, if I can start with you on that, that would be wonderful. I have, at least at the beginnings of my career, been very, very fortunate to work on varied queer characters, to bring that part of my identity to, to roles that are meaty and exciting and have served me, have put food on my table, have like supported my life actually. And so to have gone from a space of fearing of this, picking up this play and feeling fear about that identity to being celebrated for it 
is huge. So to be able to perform in this play now is just, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge for me. It is, it is affirming for me. And something I hope audiences take away that, and this is kind of tragic, is that we haven't really come that far. You know, we really haven't. Like, look at the legislation right now. Look at the anti-trans legislation right now. Look at all of the hate that is being spewed constantly. Look at it. Like, like we, this piece is deeply relevant still, unfortunately. You know, there's this there's this through line in Laramie Project where they talk about Laramie is live and let live. And you get the sense that like, Conservatives are like, yeah, you can be queer, but just like, don't tread on our values. It's like, that's not what's actually happening here. You know, we are still, we're repeating cycles right now. So I really hope that this play illuminates that for this audience. I really love that answer. That's a fabulous answer. Dustin, how about you? What does it mean to you to be a part about such a profound production and what is the message and thought you're hoping audiences take away well i mean it really does it means a lot that i was thought of for it and then just the ability to participate in in what is one of the sort of great pieces of i don't want to call like socio-political theater because it sounds so cerebral but but i don't know i my entire theater career has been a lot of social justice work intermixed with with the art form like back from you know I worked with Augusto Bowal when he was still alive and like legislative performance which is really about like, like civic engagement through theater my first job in New York was with the Foundry Theater that Atu was in called O Earth and Melanie Joseph was running that organization and that was a that was a theater and that was the theater when I got to New York I was like that's who I want to work with because they were they had a social justice train on one track and then on the other track, there was the theater train and they were always moving at the same speed. One was not greater than the other. And so that kind of, that kind of work has always been, has been everything because, you know, I think a lot of the time in the theater, I can look around and say like, what are we doing this for? Like, why are we doing this? Like, what is the point? And the point is, all you know, it's always changing for me. It's, it's not that something has to be explicitly political for it to be purposeful because the body, the body is political. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all that. That's all to say, it is, I think, just one of those projects that is just like a really a beacon of that type of that type of work and something that other people can look toward as a model to do their own kind of investigative theater and it also provided a space for I think a lot of young queer people to inhabit both the oppressor and the oppressed at the same time and and understand how those things can you know resonate back and forth inside of their own young bodies you know in schools because I think it's done in schools a lot you know what I, this play did come out and I'm totally dating myself I was definitely in high school when this came out because I remember being I, I remember being like I cannot believe that in my community in Maryland, like we are, it was done in, in my high school, which is like why it was handed to me first. Mm. And I, I totally hear what you're saying, Dustin, around like letting young people reckon with this material. 
I think that was some, some something that feels like really kind of meta about this play, right? Because you get characters like Rebecca Hilliker and Jedediah Schultz, like who are young theater makers. And then this play immediately sort of funneled into like young theater programs. And so it just sort of felt like this network that was created. Mm-hmm. I love that. I want to kind of build on that thought if I could with my final question for the first part. And I want to know who do you hope have access to this production? And Dustin, if I can start with you first on this. Well, I I believe, I don't know if we're filming it or not. I, I have questions about that. But in terms of access to the production, I, something that is, that that I understand as one of the primary drivers aside from the artistic merit on its own is that it is a it is a fundraiser for the Trevor project which is a deeply needed project that has been around for many years and that is somehow still needed more and more to I mean I don't have any statistics in front of me but it is known that suicide is it just seems to be a problem that is getting worse and worse, especially as our poor human brains and bodies and souls are not potentially maybe meant to endure this much tragedy in one moment or to have that kind of knowledge. Like in our interconnected world, we see more and more the actual pain that humans are able to inflict on one another. So I, my answer is kind of twofold. I hope that some rich people show up and give a bunch of money and they can sit in the front row and have a blast. You know, come on, rich people, like show up, give some money. I'm almost sure that we're going to get to the day of and there's going to be plenty of cheap seats that are also available at the door. So that's I want to encourage people to come. If they don't get their ticket in advance, come to the door. I can almost guarantee you you're going to find a seat in that theater. I don't think we're going to be turning away people at the door who want to see it aside from, you know, unless we hit like, you know, a venue capacity fire thing, which that's a whole other, you know, I'm not trying to like cause them off, but you know, and everybody in between too. I mean, in terms of access, I hope everybody can see it. That's why I'm wondering like, are we filming that? Because it would be nice to, you know, I mean, there's probably a lot of rules around equity, but that's a whole other thing too. So (laughs) it might not be the case. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure how to answer that question because I, am not in charge of that but i do hope that or from what i understand the access is is open and it's wide mm-hmm. love that though Atu, what about you i mean who do you hope have access to this production similarly like i hope every like i hope everyone does so many people need to see this right now and like justin i'm like come on rich people like let's like let us make sure that the trevor project is funded in the way that it needs to be funded let's make that happen that's so important right now and that and i also hope you know specifically young folks come and see this you know and I think often when uh, uh, you're a young person in the world and the world seems scary to you or seems unjust to you, there can be a feeling that, that like you're all alone or this is the first time it's ever happening. So I think to engage with a work that is 25 years old and see that like people have been at this, trying to crack this nut and you are part of a legacy of activism, I think that's really important. And I think that could really 
boost morale for young folks who are who are in a world right now that is kind of on fire. So like, I hope they come and are comforted in some ways. Yeah, that's, I, I, I especially hope young people are in the audience. Can I add to, I feel like I hope some, I hope some of our, our wealthy uh, allies out there also just buy some extra tickets and tell the producers that, hey, I bought some extra tickets that can be given out for free. You know, call me. I got Instagram, like send me a message like, hey, I bought two extra tickets. I'll find somebody who's going to fill that seat, you know? So I don't know if there's a system in place for that, but you know, we'll make a system if there isn't. I want to switch things up and move to the second part of our interview and let our listeners get to know the two of you a little bit better. Pick your brains, if you will. And I want to start by asking the two of you, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are some of your favorites? And Atu, can I start with you on that? Sure. I mean... There are two and they're gonna sound is uh, whatever. I will say that like, I'll start with William Shakespeare mostly because I love poetry and making poetry active and in the moment like this, there is a poetry to every play written ever. And I think that like, because Shakespeare's is so blatant, having an understanding and access to that has really helped me to live inside the languages of other writers. So he's big, he's a big inspiration for me. And yeah, I mean, I'll say it, I'll, I'll just go for it. But my dear friend and um, incredible writer, Jeremy Harris is another person who very much inspires me in that he is bold, <laughs> like about his vision, about his person. And that is always inspiring to me, you know? Yeah, and and, and to, ha- to have like sort of watched the journey is like incredibly inspiring and motivating. So those are those are two off the top of my head. I love those though. Two fantastic ones. Thank you. Dustin, what about you? What are who inspires you? Yeah. And I just gotta give credit that little ticket scam I was talking about where a rich person buys a buys a ticket for for somebody who needs a ticket. That's a that is a classic Jeremy O'Harris. Right? Scam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good for him. Just had to cite my source, excuse me. <laughs> my my favorite, 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 this is no shock to Octo, I'm sure. My favorite artist, poet, writer is Federico Garcia Lorca. I just, it is a never ending well with that human being who is another gay, queer life, like cut short by sort of fear. I mean, he's in the Franca regime in the 1930s, but but this is a writer who who is who because he was living in a in a in an authoritarian regime had to create works of art that were very much coded and the code became you know i think it's marked as surrealism or or the stuff of dreams or but i think they're all legible these like these hidden codes of like a queer a queer coded theater that a theater beneath the sand is what i think a lot of people refer to it as that i think you know it is a writer who's deeply entrenched in the Andalusian culture and the the ideas of Duende but I think 
more scholarship recently is is also bringing to the fore the the great import of that kept secret that was only shared with the people who could see it and i think now we're able to like look at this poet's work and really unearth i think a lot more of these symbols and understand more clearly what it means to you know move through life feeling bifurcated that's one and my other i think the other writer i always look to is mikhail bulgakov who <laughs> is a ukrainian writer who is woefully underproduced but you know is really in a very very hilarious but but thoughtful way lambasting the just madness of the russian regime in the early 20th century and just does it with with such care but also such like sorry to use a violent metaphor but like guns ablazon with the comedy with absurdity with the silliness and that kind of that kind of tension between like the clown and the and the tragic is 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 something that i really appreciate an artist. And I think and in both cases, both of these artists are working under the foot of authoritarians. And I, you know, so then I guess my third person I shout out to is literally anybody who is making art right now under this BS authoritarian universe that we are, that, it, that feels like it is no longer lurking on the edges, but is creeping into the center more and more. And the way to defeat that aside from, you know, go vote, is to keep creating in the face of, in the face of that. Amen. Say it again for the people in the back. Amen. <laughs> and I, I want to like, I just want to respond to two things you bring up here about like, just real, real fast if, if I can, this idea of like the mirror. I'm like, I'm not quite sure I really, really endorse that idea that we're just reflecting back what exists already, as opposed to, I think we're really, as an art, or I, in my art, am really trying to, I don't know if it's enough to just sort of like show the thing that we all know. It is about like pushing, what is the next potential thing? What is the next hope? What is the next, what's, what's, what's beyond the gate in, you know, for, for, for a world that is actually liberated? Yes. Um, we're looking into the past, like, like I want to imagine a past that lets us desire the future. So what is that? What is a remaking project? What is it to, to re-lens something that may have been misread in the past that, you know, I've got a Eugene Onegin project coming up where I'm like, you know what? I think Tchaikovsky was gayer than this opera is allowed to be seen as right now because of the Russians. And the other thing I just wanted to, to say too, is that like, I am interested in provoking i am interested in an audience hollering back at the stage so if you like let's get into a little let's get into some beef at the theater you know i yeah when you I look back, <laughs> when you look back at like sort of like something like a doll's house when people are like at the time it's performed people are like shouting at the stage and leaving the theater and like it's causing ah. these like like that's what, you, like that's that's why I want to be a theater artist. Like I'm specifically there to make sure people are angry. Actually, in some ways, I love that. In some instances, you know. Yeah. Anything but anything but docility. Anything that anything that that removes what I find is running a bit rampant. Also in America, where an audience comes in and they are an empty vessel waiting to be filled. And I'm like, no, no, no. no. You came in with all your stuff. We came in with all of our stuff. 
we're going to mix it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, we've arrived now at my favorite question to ask guests, and I cannot wait to hear yours. And that is, what is your favorite theater memory? It is my favorite. <gasps> okay. It's, I, it didn't even happen to me. This is, this is a ridiculous one, but it, it has somehow lasted my whole it has stayed with me for so long and it, it, I wasn't even really involved. I was at, it was my first year at the Yale School of Drama and this brilliant director, Alexandru Mikhail, did a, for his thesis, was doing a production of Chekhov's The Seagull. And I don't know why, this is like my favorite time ever. The Jill Taylor, who was playing uh, Nina at the end of the, or at the act break between two and three, she, she looks out to the audience and she, she's supposed to go, my dream but they called the cue too early and the curtain starts coming down before she said it. And she just like, the curtain's coming down so fast and she throws her body to the floor and screams, my dream. And then the curtain shuts. <laughs> and I was just like her, and it was the most, I was like, now that's Chekhov. Right? <laughs> and it has since, like, it is like, a, I mean, Atu can, can tell this too. Like my dream is like a thing that is just shouted often just my dream a truly truly i like to, to the point where i was like what i needed the origin story i didn't i didn't get the origin story till much later but i just i was like why are people always shouting my dream like it was just it's just legend. an iconic moment <laughs> legend truly i uh, love that thank you for sharing that that is fantastic my Austin, what um, about you my i mean it's actually a recent memory. It's just like, it just happened to be real. But I was like, I don't think I've ever felt like that in the theater. But I went and saw the production of Pearly Victorious on Broadway, which is just go see it. Like it's two words, Carrie Young. I'm just that, I'll just say that. But there is this, <laughs> right? There are, there is this speech at the end where, you know, and it's written by the great Aussie Davis where Leslie Odom's character, Pearlie, is, is a preacher and he's like speaking to the audience. And you know, part of the reason why it's one of my favorite theater memories is like, it, theater is often, like we'll, we'll, we'll call it what it is, like theater is often a very white space. <laughs> and in this show, I felt I was being spoken to specifically in my identifiers as a black person, which is like, not often a thing that happens in the theater. And there was something about that where I really, often when I go to theater, I question, is this for me? You know, is it, am I being spoken to? And that was a moment I did not have to question that. And I loved it, yeah. That is incredible. I really love that memory. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you both for sharing those memories. I love those. And I'll never look at the seagull the same way. And I can't <laughs> see Pearly Victoria. And I will think of you in that final speech. I'll be like, oh. So thank you both for those. Do either of you have any other upcoming projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? I want to I shout out to two gay, gay things, queer things going on. One is Marry Me by Hansel Jung, which is going to be at New York Theater Workshop starting. I think they go into dress rehearsal tonight. So that's opening up real soon. And then I'm forgetting the name of it, but Becca Blackwell's show at Soho Rep is coming up real soon too, directed by 
the brilliant, lovely Jess Barbagallo, who was also in that show with Atu. Yes. That was earlier at the Foundry. But, you know, Soho Rep New York Theater Workshop are out here just being unabashedly, you know, gay and queer right now. So let's go. Let's go shout for them. Mm-hmm. No, I'm working on life right now. We'll see what comes up. <laughs> well, finally, if our listeners would like more information about the Laramie Project or about either of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? Well, you can go on Instagram and look at the Laramie 25th to find, and that's the Instagram handle, Laramie 25th. And then, yeah, I'm on Instagram at A Blankson So reach out there. Yeah. I'm glad you had that because I was like, what is the handle? I'm like scrambling for my phone and can't find it. I'm at, at Dustino Benino. Yeah. And if you bought a bunch of tickets and need somebody to give them to, let me know and I will find a home for them. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Atu, Dustin, thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today about this incredible show, sharing your amazing memories. It has been an honor to get to sit down and speak with you. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. My guests today have been the incredible actor Atu Blankson-Wood and the amazing director, Dustin Wills, who are part of the upcoming production of The Laramie Project, playing one night only, October 16th at 7 p.m. at Symphony Space. Tickets and more information are available at symphonyspace.org, and the evening will benefit the Trevor Project and commemorate the 25th anniversary of Matthew Shepard's passing and the founding of The Trevor Project. So if you are in a position to make a great donation for a wonderful organization or pick up some extra tickets so people can attend head to symphonyspace.org get your tickets now for the october 16th showing of the laramie project so until next time i'm andrew cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones unwrap your candies and keep talking about the theater and stay with me thank you If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.